Today on episode number 416 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Vanessa Thompson joins me to talk about how to engage on social media. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Today's guest, Vanessa Thompson, will be talking to us about how to meet students where they are, including places like TikTok. She has a multifaceted way that she engages in online spaces, such as the being the core program coordinator at Oakland University, also as an adjunct English faculty member at Oakland Community College, and as an adjunct instructor at the Engineering Society of Detroit. She's currently working on her PhD, has a master's degree from Lawrence Technological University, and a bachelor's from Michigan State University's College of Communication, Arts, and Sciences. And as you'll hear about in the episode, she is a gamer. Vanessa Thompson, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. Hi, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. I am so glad to get to talk to you, even though you've been talking to me for a while now, ever since I got introduced to your work. (laughs) And I have to take the listeners back to an episode from a while back from David White before we start our conversation, Mm -hmm. Vanessa. He introduced to us a series of what he calls myths of a belief that Some of people are digital natives, and some of people are digital immigrants. He considers these to be myths. And if anyone, if this is new and you want to learn more about why he considers those things to be myths, you got to go back and listen to that episode with David White. But he introduces to us what he finds to be a more helpful continuum. And he looks at, instead of digital natives versus immigrants, he says digital residents versus digital visitors. And he actually breaks it down to in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And so an example for people, just a refresher, is a visitor would be like how I am on TikTok, both professionally and personally. I don't leave a trace, although, I mean, if you want to see my kids, they have one video of themselves spilling water on each other, With which if you've been on TikTok, you may have seen that classic meme go around there. But you can't see much of me. You don't know much about my life. You're, you're not going to see any receipts or, or any trace of me really there. I visit and I enjoy watching people like Vanessa, which is one of the areas I first got familiar with your work, versus if you saw me on Twitter, I would be more considered a resident. So you would find out, oh, she has a family. Oh, she's a professor. Oh, she quotes. These are the books that she's reading because she's sharing quotes from these books. So there's a lot of ways in which I leave traces behind, mostly on Twitter professionally, but I would say there's a fair amount on personal as well. And it's kind of flipped on Instagram more personal than it is professional, but you would see both of those aspects of my life. So Vanessa, this is why you're here. (laughs) I'd like us to start and see 
Do you see the same kind of desire to push back on the natives versus immigrants model or paradigm? And does what he came up with, this resident versus visitors, resonate with you? Yes, all of it. <laughs> be all of the above. Because I think it's, and I think you you see that a lot with some of the TikTok, because that's where I'm, I would say I'm right now, I'm a resident. Like I'm there, I'm, I'm living there. I, got, I built a condo. It's great. Um, but there's actually research and data that shows that 30-year-olds and older millennials are now the more popular TikTok users versus originally Gen Z, which would be probably 25 or younger. So millennials, like most things, (laughs) dominated the, the digital space. But I find myself having to learn a little bit more about TikTok and how to navigate through that because I came in the digital space more in the YouTube kind of creator space. So you had a lot more time to get to your thought. Um, you could take people around and go on that journey. Whereas TikTok, you got clips. Here's a trailer of your life. <laughs> you got 60 seconds. You might have 10 minutes or three minutes, depending on where how involved you are on the platform. But it's, it's snippets. Or here's a little nugget of wisdom for you. Do with that as you will. So there's some blessings and some curses that come with that kind of bite-sized content creation. But yeah, I see tons of people, older professors, like I've linked up with some professors from Stanford and Canada um, and Colorado, <laughs> and they're like, there would be older and not in a necessarily negative way, like old people, young people, but they're a little bit older. They're a little bit more established professionally. And so they're taking time to reach their students and reach their demographics through TikTok because that's where they're at. But then I also see a lot of college students using it as just a call it like Soma from Brave New World, like just as a desensitizing thing with all the things that are happening in the world, I just need a moment in a space to be just goofy or just to learn something without, and I get to control it. They take that to that platform as well. So I really like the resident visitor um, because it also feels like it's fluid. So I used to be really prominent in Twitter. I remember signing up for Twitter in 2008. I didn't even know what it is. <laughs> and I was, I was there. I was in it. And now I will consider myself a visitor on on Twitter, more like a a resident in Instagram, uh, and then also on TikTok. But it ebbs and flows, so it allows for that um, fluidity, which is really awesome. So would you tell us sort of how did all of this part of your life start? And maybe, maybe take us back to when you remember starting to either become a visitor online? Did that happen first? And then and then where did you take up residence? And what were some of those early memories that you have of all of that? Oh, I remember a time when Facebook wasn't a thing. And I also remember a time when Facebook was a thing. So that's probably the first time. And I probably was 2004. I created my first Facebook account. And then I realized that there was exclusivity to that because it was only exclusive to those that were in college. So if I wanted to connect with my other college friends, um, you didn't have a lot of wall posting or anything like that. It was just, here's my profile, here's who I am. And it was very static. And then you start to see events. And then I was an RA uh, and I started to see people would post their parties in the residence halls. I'm like, oh, thanks for doing my job for me. Now I know (laughs) where I need to go to make sure everybody's good and safe. Uh, So that's probably my first iteration. And then I was, I'm a McNair scholar two times because I love research. And I looked at computer mediated communication and realized that there is a whole breadth of topics and conversations. And online was just a new vehicle to do that. 
we were doing computer mediated communication or computer or mediated communication through phones, letters, because we weren't talking face to face. The only thing that has changed is the vehicle in which we do it. So I dived into that. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. Like, this is great. And then fast forward, <laughs> I don't even know, a couple years. And I realized that that is now the underbelly of my like dissertation research, looking at Um, And I'm looking at Summer Bridge participants at um, Oakland University and seeing how the virtual Summer Bridge program prepared them for the demands of college, whether that was virtual or in person. And right underneath that is computer-mediated communication. Like, how do you build rapport with students? Um, Like, we were so easy to do that face-to-face, and we know how to do that so well. But now the educators and administrators are now learning with the students, but the students are looking to us as the experts, but we're all trying to learn how to do this. Like, what is this? Um, And so I find it so interesting. Like, I just love the the conversations about it. And I I had no idea that what I loved in 2004, 2005 would fast forward and show itself in this way. So that's probably how I started and then how I have evolved. Oh, wow. And for listeners who may not realize this, would you talk a little bit about, because this dissertation is very much a right now thing. You just took us, man, yes. you just took us on the quickest talk about you. You really got this TikTok thing down. <laughs> you took us I know, right? such a history from 2004 until the present day. So I think I, yeah. I knew you were working on a PhD because I see you converse a lot about that and some of the challenges you, you really bring in. Those of us that have worked on a dissertation, we can remember your help and have us go, oh, I remember that. I remember that. But also really helping a lot of people that are very much at present dealing with some of these challenges being a doctoral student. But I didn't realize that it was on computer media, <laughs> which I, now I feel like I didn't do my homework very well. But yeah, tell us some oh, more. No, uh, <laughs> tell us some more about that, what, what your dissertation is and kind of where you're finding yourself in your own educational experience. All the things. So the panoramic, because I like to use other P names besides pandemic, because that in unprecedented times, if I can just throw that for the vocabulary, <laughs> that'd be great. But I found in the in that time, I was a student, a doctoral student. I was also a faculty member and I was teaching at the community college, local community college. And I'm also a staff, so I provide academic support for marginalized and minoritized groups. So I'm seeing this computer-mediated communication and all of that in three different areas. And it is, it was wild. <laughs> it was amazing. And I think, I'm like, for, unfortunately, all this had to happen for me to have a little bit of a lens to look at my, uh, in my dissertation. And I've done a little bit of research. I'm still in the qualifying exam phase. And that's all so much fun. <laughs> so much. And all of that. So much fun. It's, it's riveting and scary all at the same time. But what was really interesting is that what we did in 2000, 2020 and 2021 was not online education. That was an emergency pivot. That was, we are struggling and we need, the world doesn't stop. Um, unfortunately, this pandemic has stopped how we know how to do this. So we need to pivot and this is the best way. We have the vehicles, the technology to pivot in this way. So I tell people all the time, online education, and though I've only had one online class and this really immersed me in the online education space, but we've only, if you had one online class, you know that this wasn't it. 2020 and 2021 was not it. And if you haven't had any foundation in that, you're thinking all online education is 2020, 2021, and it's not. 
So what we did, the, the pivot, I mean, how much time it takes to do an online course, how much resources it takes, all of that prep, like looking at cost of how to do that, like it's a lot of cost on the professor, it's a lot of cost on the students, a lot of cost on the institution. We didn't think about that. We were like, we just need to go. And so let's learn with Zoom. <laughs> I'm real familiar with Zoom now, right? But to not carry that over to an online experience because that's not the same. If you had an online faculty person, they're probably one vote versed in online um, education, whether it's synchronous or asynchronous. They wanted to do this. They elected to do that. And you picked this class because it was online. You were not forced to do it. So when you have, when you take all of those um, that lens away, you realize, okay, this, I can't, these are apples and oranges. I can't compare the two. Um, and so that's probably the most prominent thing I found. And it's really, and I try to do that with my, my coworkers when they talk about it. I'm like the environment in which we did 2020 and 2021, whether as for academic support or faculty, we were just trying to make it. <laughs> we were just trying to get it together. So this is not the same. So we have to get that attitude away so that we can really say like, if you want to do online, let's do it. And this is the best ways to be successful in a traditional non-pandemic-y way. <laughs> I, I, I also think about, you know, people who would say things about online spaces like, oh, well, there's just it's a whole bunch of trolls or it's 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 utterly, you know, destroying society. And and while there are certainly a lot of things we should be very concerned about in online spaces, there's also affordances that social media allow us. And, and I'm sure this is so much of what you've been looking at, both in your life and in your research as well. But let's start out with the safety front. So I'm curious mm -hmm. for you, over the, since 2004, how would you describe your own safety online? And, and what are some of the things that you've seen come up over time? And, and as you talk to other people about what you advise them, staying safe, you know, can, is it possible to be safe online? What have you been thinking about regarding safety in all this time? Uh, like all the things, um, especially now that I have a 24-year-old nephew, a 14-year-old niece, and a four-year-old nephew, um, all 10 years apart, and how they navigate online is very different. Um, and so I, I'll, as an aunt, I call myself a professional aunt, I have to keep that in mind. But I would honestly say that with online, no matter what it is, you are either creating the story or the story is being created about you. Either way it goes, your presence is going to be online, whether you like it or not. So if they're taking a picture and you're walking past and like you just happen to be there, your face is there. If you're on Google Maps and like I saw on Google Maps one time my car was in the driveway, my like I'm I'm there, right? So it's just it just depends on whether or not you want to take an active role and a passive role. There's no shame or fault in either way um, because it can be very exhausting, especially if that's not something that you do. But I think that it's, that's something to think about. And also I think about, um, I tell students all the time, what stays online, what happens online stays online. It never goes away. So when you, there are some things about Vanessa in 2005 that I really don't want anyone to find. <laughs> and it's just me being a 20-something year old adult, right? Other demographics and other generations had the same thing. The only difference is that they were able to throw away the photos that they didn't want anyone to see. That's the only difference. Mine are just on Facebook. Um, and so because of that, I have started to curate a professional and personal social media presence. One is that 
people don't need to have access, 100% access to Vanessa. I am an amazing commodity, <laughs> but also I want to protect the little people that I have. Um, just because I elect to be on social media does not mean that my best friend's son elected to be on social media. That doesn't mean that my sister wanted her kids on social media like that for the world to see. So making my personal more private and a little bit more selective on who I pick and allowed in those spaces, I'm being very strategic about that. My professional um, TikTok and Instagram go at it. <laughs> like everything's on there about my presence as a student, as a faculty member, as a staff person. I'm very just open. Like if you want to see how I teach a class, go for it. I'm also doing being very strategic about my students though, because just because I am on social media doesn't mean that they want to be. So I'm blurring out faces. I also ask them in front of class in the very first day, do you prefer? Um, if we take a picture in class that I can post it, or would you like me not to? I've had students that have had some really rocky situations, but I have to be more aware that just because I'm outgoing on all aspects of my life, other people aren't. And so that's probably the, the best safety advice I could probably give to other people. Like, if you are 13 plus or 18 plus, <laughs> whatever the social media account will allow, go for it, go nuts, have fun but also realize that you elected that for yourself. Other people didn't elect that for you. And also, I am not opposed to having special groups. Who can see what of me? I have like special groups in Facebook. So even my Facebook, if you wanna see all of me, you have to be not in my professional networks. And I'm actually like actively curating and making that list. So if people leave the institution and it goes someplace else, Okay, we're not coworkers anymore. So here, have at it. But being strategic about that and just not just posting the posts, like thinking about it, think about the implication. Who's in this video? Who wants to be in this video? Am I doing something? Is this the best thing I could say? Is there another way I can say it before you hit post? Um, and that probably would be my best advice. Boy, a couple of themes that you said really stood out to me, and that is. It's just so true. Either you're creating the story or someone else is. And there was a podcast episode mm -hmm. I listened to a while ago. There was a woman who, this is many, many moons ago, but it still stands true as far as social media goes. A woman who had worked for a politician and she had in her personal life, she and her friend loved to take their pictures in front of signs that told you not to do something, doing something. So whatever this, don't, don't run on the grass, don't run with scissors, and they're going to be running the grass, running with scissors and all of that. And they made the unfortunate choice, which you talked about 2005, Vanessa. And for me, I can't remember what year it was, but let's just say I was glad that photos could be thrown away, <laughs> that, the, that the photo <laughs> negatives don't exist today. You know, we, we, many of us, I think maybe I could even go so far as to say almost all of us have those moments in our lives. They made the really bad choice of some kind of sign being up in front of a memorial for people who had served in some type of military doing the thing that the sign said not to do. And it was viewed as disrespectful to the people who had served and lost their lives for our country. Okay. And I, the woman who they interviewed, she wasn't proud of that moment. She could see that that picture was not in her best judgment, but she went on a flight from somewhere in the U S to somewhere in another country. And when she stepped off of the plane, her entire world had changed. There were tens wow 
of thousands. <laughs> I mean, just you think about every time something gets retweeted, it gets passed on or whatever. But so what this podcast did is it went and it followed. If you hire a professional to help a woman like that solve that problem, they do not try to get rid of all of those pictures being retweeted and reposted in all of those places. It's exactly what you said, Vanessa. You got to get on top of that and then have other messages that will eventually bubble up. Better to you being the one to tell that story. But um, I do know there are people who have preferences to remain more in visitor mode and especially on certain platforms and about certain things you talked about, especially if it involves someone else and what that what that is involved. But, oh, it's it is definitely tough. Well, we've talked a little bit about safety and security? Is there anything else you want to talk about safety or security that you'd like to touch on before we then talk about thriving in these online spaces? I would probably say that online spaces aren't going away. They're not. We can try to like control it as much as we can, but the best informed person, and especially our students and those that are, are younger, really talk about how to navigate through that space. It's almost the same thing. I, I will equivalent it to when you're learning about education, sex education and like alcohol and things like that. There are some parents that are, you know, what we're going to expose, we're going to talk about these things. It'll be open about it. And therefore that translates to them not um, kind of that exposure being like, okay, the, the mystery of it is, is aloof. I now know how I need to maneuver. I need to know how to like, what makes me safe. And it's a little bit, easier for them to navigate in those spaces. If you shun away online things, your child <laughs> will not be able to do a whole lot. They won't be able to play video games. They won't be able to get help if they need help with homework. They won't be able to find out what their favorite celebrity is doing. They won't be able to connect with their friends. So really getting out of the mindset that online spaces are horrible and they're going to go away because they're not. The best thing that we can control is how we respond as adults, how we respond with people that have little people in the world, and how to make sure that they're as safe as possible. Mm, thank you so much. So let's talk about thriving in online spaces. I feel like I've seen you do that and your face lit up when I, when I said it earlier. What are some of the things that you think of in terms of thriving? And let's start with just talking about creation and curation. I see you doing so much of both of those things and talk a little bit about how, how that helps you thrive in online spaces. I think it helps me thrive. Well, it did in the pandemic because I don't know if anyone could tell this, but I lean towards extroversion. So the pandemic and sheltering in place was like torture to me. Like I was in solitary confinement. So I needed to have a way for that extrovert energy to go. Uh, so I'm, if I'm someone that like, if I can't, after a while I need to move around, after a while I need to listen to some music or do something participatory, which is why I'm a gamer too, but it just wasn't enough. So thriving on like on Instagram and TikTok, I was like, oh, okay, this is, I'm finding some of my people. Like, this is great. And I just created some things that at first it was to connect with my students. And so I posted things that were complimentary to what I was teaching them in class, like how to write a paper, because a lot of students were really struggling with that. And I'm a doctoral student, which means all of your assignments are papers. <laughs> you don't take very little exams, right? So telling them how to look up primary sources versus secondary sources, how to find topics. So if you want to talk about PlayStation versus Xbox, where are some places that you can go that you can get 
popular and secular journals, but also academic and, you know, peer reviewed journals. Like how can you differentiate the two if you don't have access to your school's library? Looking up Google Scholar, Google Alerts and things like that. And it just kind of exploded <laughs> from there. And I did one video where I probably went, I guess viral for lack of a better word, but I showed how to convert a Word document to a PowerPoint and that you don't have to recreate it. And that just like exploded. And I had no idea that that was going to happen, but I'm glad that it did because it helped not only students, but it helped my peers. It helped other people like, wow, I didn't know that you could do that. And so it was just really cool. So that is probably like my first viral thing. And I was so pleasantly surprised and it's kind of gone on from there. So it's given me amazing opportunities in the real life, though we're talking uh, virtually and you are in one place and I'm in Michigan. Just the fact that I was able to do that. I don't know if we did the traditional face-to-face, -face, like going to a conference and things like that, if we would have linked up, right? Like there, it might, it might've happened, but it would be the luck of the draw <laughs> where now I'm putting myself out there, showing what I align with. And then hopefully I'm finding people that, align with that as well and want to talk about it a little bit more. So it's been amazing. It's also interesting because students now I'm on their For You page and they're like, oh, I saw you. And I'm like, oh no, you saw me. And coworkers are seeing me now, but they're also seeing me now as a, um, not just as a resident, but also as a, I guess, a tutor, being able to help other people. Like we want to get in this space and how do we navigate through that? And so now I also have the fun task of our department's social media pages, which is a lot of fun. It's like, it's not even work for me. <laughs> I just love it. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the tools that you use for creation? So I use my iPhone a lot. Um, and then I also use CapCut to create things. And I'm still a novice. I haven't learned how to do a whole lot with that, but that's definitely helped with uh, making my videos more accessible with uh, auto captions and things like that. I do not have any hearing impairments or anything like that, but I do know that that can change really quickly. And seeing a lot of students that are um, disabled on TikTok realize I can't watch your videos because I typically watch it without sound or if I'm deaf, there's no sound, but I want to engage, but I have no idea what you're saying, right? So luckily TikTok came up with that and got on the good foot, but then I was on the creator to figure out a way to make your videos more accessible. So CapCut is really cool with that. And that allows you to do that and just, you know, you do a little coding and things like that. So that's probably my favorite. And then I also use, I also use a lot of like music and I try to find some cool music and things. And I'm able to also extract from a TikTok video and post it um, just for editing purposes and then put it back um, and upload it on TikTok just to give it credit. And you can do that all in CapCut. It's amazing. Mm. And when you talk about using your iPhone, there is mm -hmm. the phone itself. Do you use accessories such as a tripod or any kind of a clip or light or anything like that that you enjoy that that sort of augments the use of the iPhone? Yeah. So I do have a ring light. Uh, my parents thought I was absolutely insane. They're like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm making content, parents. Uh, <laughs> so I do have a ring light. I also have an iPhone lavalier mic. And all of those things really help. But 
they complement my content creation, they do not supplement my content creation. So a lot of times I might not even use that because I just want to be personable. But if it's something where I'm using green screen or if I'm doing a voiceover or something along those lines, I'm going to use those tools to make sure that it's the best quality possible. But I don't use it a whole lot, maybe once a month if I do a batch of content. But other than that, it's just my phone and me. One thing that has confused me, and you know, I, I'm a very much a visitor on TikTok, and it's not it's not one that I spend a ton of time on. But when I watch mm-hmm. videos on TikTok, it appears to me as the novice. And you said this earlier, a lot of work going into thinking I only have a limited amount of time to do this. So I have to get it right. So when I look at a video, a lot of times it has a ton of edit points. Mm-hmm. And that to me would look like someone has planned more than I think they actually plan. So I'm confused between what percentage of it is planning versus what percentage of it is more spontaneous that then got edited down to just what they wanted to say. Do you have any sense of how much of it is I'm getting edited down because I went on too long or how much of it is I planned <laughs> this out super, super specifically? Or, or maybe I'm thinking of it in the wrong way because it just depends on who's creating it and what they're going for. That's what it, I think it really boils down to. It really depends on what who they're creating and what's the, the tone and the vibe for it. I think a lot of times with me, because I'm, again, really just outgoing and just kind of like, I'm going to do something. And I'm just, you know, quirky in that way <laughs> that I will record myself doing mundane things. And so I have a lot of B-roll of me studying, uh, whether it's a time-lapse video or a regular video. It also helps me stay off my phone so I can focus on my assignments. So I have a ton of just awesome content that I've repurposed multiple times. So if you look at my videos, and I'm unapologetic about this, if there's a great sound, but I do not have time to do a video for it, I'm going to use one of those B-rolls and just put it together. I just posted one either today or yesterday where I was like, don't stop the technique. And so I was using this like really cool hip hop song, but it's all video that I've already recorded before of me studying. And I'm encouraging students like, don't stop the technique. You know what works. We're getting into finals, keep it going, and I was able to create new content. So because I have 12 to 20 30-second clips of me studying or whatnot, I can come up with an infinite amount of content and how I edit it and how I style it can change depending on the mood and depending on the sound. And then there's other times where I wanted to show and highlight my office because we do so much amazing things. And one of the things we did was an African-American Celebration Month this year. And because we were still kind of in pandemic times, we had to change it a little bit. But I wanted some people to see the behind the scenes. I wanted them to see that our office is amazing. And we're trying to meet as many people where they're at. And this is how we are doing it. So there's a little behind the scenes. And I also wanted to show people that you don't have to be a professor to work in higher ed. You could do a whole bunch of other things, but it all becomes accessibility and visibility. And so if you don't see those things, you don't know that that's available. So it kind of served multiple purposes and it did pretty well in, in terms of views if we're really, you know, quantifying it. But it was a lot of fun. And a lot of students were like, oh, I had no idea that you all did stuff like that. Or I can get a job working at a university doing that as opposed to just teaching and or being like the dean of students or the president of the university. So it was really cool. 
Yeah, having the the B roll and 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 it doesn't even necessarily have to be ours because of the ability to remix other people's clips and things like that, depending on what yeah. permissions they have set up. But also, you're talking about styling and and all of that, so it's kind of thinking through how to tell the story. But in many cases, not always thinking we have to make something up from scratch. We can be drawing from what mm-hmm. we've done in the past and thinking about sort of collecting little nuggets of stories that you may not exactly know how you're going to use, but yeah, that's really powerful. And then what tools are you using for managing your social media presence? So you've talked a little bit about creation tools, but what about the overarching when stuff gets posted or are you doing, are you using any tools like that? I'm using all the tools, (laughs) (laughs) just everything. So I like to, if I see something and I'm also an extrovert also. So I do take that, that I have a lot of interest. And if I see something really cool, I'm going to jump on it right then and there. And I'm like, wait a minute, let's pause. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. take a beat. And so I use a notion to kind of, if there's a sound I like, or if there's an idea, but it's going to take a little bit more power to execute that and things like that. I will put that onto a side. So it's all of the, the links and things like that, that I use for inspiration. So I have that. So that way I don't feel like I'm losing it <laughs> because otherwise it goes away. And then there is a way on TikTok on the actual website where you can actually schedule some TikToks. So I have used that before specifically for my classes that um, when I was teaching to put things that were closer to the date that something was due. So when I was telling students like, hey, look into your look into Moodle or Banner or D2L for some resources to help you out. I knew that the assignment was going to be due, let's say, October 15th. So October 1st, I want this to go out so then I can schedule it and then share that with the students. So that's a really cool feature that a lot of people know about. But the only downside is that you don't have a lot of control of what the screen looks like, the thumbnail, if you will. Mm. So I do use that occasionally. So those are the pretty much the only two things that I use that in terms of content creation and organization, because um, I treat it as a hobby. So if I don't feel like I'm doing anything that day, I'm not doing anything that day. But luckily, I have some B-roll to plan for when I don't want to do that. Yeah, even just the whole idea, though, of pre-scheduling messages, you talked about Moodle, Banner, DTL, the all of yeah. the learning management systems have the ability for us to pre-schedule the announcements. And for me, if I've got a yes. big assignment coming out, and I want to remind them about this or provide them with this resource, to have that all scheduled out, you can be thinking about a cadence of messages. So that's great to know. I had no idea you could do that on TikTok. So you're right. I'm one of those who had no idea. <laughs> I could barely post a video up there. So, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, anything else that you'd like to share about either content creation tools, social media, before we get to the recommendation segment where I at least though I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction. <laughs> so anything else to share before we move on to that? The only other recommendation I would say is that to actively engage with the content that you're coming up with. So if you don't want to see something, tell the platform you don't want to see it, as opposed to just scrolling up. Because on their back end, they're looking at how much time you're spending on something. And so if you look, spend, let's say, eight, 10 seconds, they're assuming that you like that content. And so they're going to push that hashtag, push that creator, push that type, that style. But if you don't want to see it, because there's been times where I ended up on the wrong side of TikTok. Like, how do we get here? <laughs> Say that you're not interested. Say you don't want to see that if you're coming up on Instagram um, and things like that. So don't just use your thumb to double tap to say that you like it. 
also use your thumb to say if you don't like something or if you don't want to see something. And is there, am I supposed to be doing that in TikTok beyond just scrolling to the next one? Depends on, there's this huge mystifying conversation of like, what does the algorithm do? I have no idea, Mm -hmm. but I do want to make sure that, again, I am participatory in telling them what I want to see. So if it sees something that, again, on that, on the side of TikTok that I don't want to see, or where I want my content to be pushed, I'm going to tell you that I'm not interested. A lot of people just scroll up and just like, okay, I'm done with it. That's what I mean. How do I tell it though? How do I tell it? This, this you're you're oh. explaining so much about my TikTok experience right now. I'm like, this so is like, what I need to do. It is, it is taking me and with my children with it to some places we don't wish to go. I didn't know there was a way to say, I don't want any more of this. How do I do that? So if you, if you hold down the video, there will have a way that shows like add to your favorites, uh, share this or send this. And then it says uh, a heart with a, a broken heart. It says not interested. Okay. Click on that and it will tell you that they won't show you things like this. So you're again, you're being a lot, not just participatory in what you post, but also participatory in what you and what you engage with. And you have now changed not just my life, but my children's life because they haven't really let them come on as much as they would like to sitting down while I'm having my cup of tea at night. And this explains a lot. So, uh, yes, yes, it does. Okay, this is the time of the show where we each get to share our recommendations. And I'm taking us in a totally different direction. But I would like to recommend a book that was actually recommended by Esty Jordan back on episode 407. It is called Dignity by Donna Hicks. And I'm currently reading, just a spoiler alert for future episodes, I will most likely be be recommending Donna Hicks' next book after Dignity. It's about leadership and dignity. And I have just been stunned. So for people who may not remember, Esty Jordan shared about dignity. Donna Hicks, she's done a bunch of work with Desmond Tutu on the apartheid in South Africa. She's worked with people in Ireland and some of the violence there throughout history. And I, I, and then the leadership book, by the way, goes into uh, more in businesses and other kinds of organizations. But I just find it fascinating how many connections there are to when people, when we have our dignity uh, being taken away, which actually, by the way, secret surprise, we actually can't have anyone take our dignity away from us. But So she she really does such a great job of telling stories in so many different contexts. And I find so much can be explained to wounds around dignity from people's past and stuff and just the importance of communication and all of that. So really good read. I try not to recommend things twice myself, but I love it when other people recommend stuff that I can go read and vice versa and um, we can get this sharing to happen. So that's my recommendation for today. And Vanessa, I'll pass it over to you, whatever you'd like to recommend. Oh, wow. That's such a great one. That's such a like insightful one. And I'm going to take us, I guess, in a different direction. I'm ready um, for in it. Terms of, <laughs> because I'm a gamer and I've played video games longer than I've been on social media. And I've been able to, you know, Nintendo and I, Tetris and I, I want to say one other thing are around the same age. So I've literally have grown up with video games. And the one game that is near and dear to my heart is Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And the reason why is it also, it's a, I guess it's a a Space Odyssey franchise. So there's three games to it. You can play it on Xbox or PlayStation. And it's kind of 
very fitting now because you have like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk going to space, like they're going across the street. So um, it is set in space, but you have, um, you can have romantic relationships. And the really cool thing is that which gender you pick changes your relationship options. And this is also the very first game that I've played and probably the first game period where if someone dies in the first game, they do not come back for the rest of the series. So there is one point where you have to make this really big and all three of them have these really big ethical decisions. Like you have to save one person. Who do you save? <laughs> one of them could be your potential love interest. The other one could be your best friend. Who do you save? One of them has to die. Another question would be if you know a species is going to be hazardous to the civilization as a whole, do you sterilize them or do you let them thrive and have an opportunity potentially to be better? Which one would you pick? Mm. And you have to pick one. And so you're like, oh, no. And then you're like, I have to pause the game and really think about it. And like, well, you could do this, but it's going to help this group out. But if I do this and sterilize a whole species, what happens? Um, and that those types of games are always really exciting for me because it also like triggers my empathy a little bit. I'm making sure that things to me, like they might be very small stakes, but the person that I'm talking to, they may be very high stakes. So being able to, to think about that. Um, and also it's participatory. That's why I love video games so much is because you have to make the choice. You're not watching a YouTube video. You're not watching a movie. You have to make the choice. So how do you deal with that internalized guilt? Knowing this is a fictional world and this is not real, how do you deal with that? And that also can help you with your social emotional uh, development and your learning, regardless if you're a student, so a high school student or an adult. So I love this game. I could talk about it all day. Garrus is my favorite character. He's great. He's an alien. Like, I wish we were friends in real life. <laughs> but it's definitely something I go back to. And it's like a, a comfort movie, like a nice, good rom-com. <laughs> This is so reminding me of choose your own adventure books from when I was young. Yes. And but I mean, something that I could never even have envisioned back then, you know, that's really, it sounds like such a wonderful uh, game. And so true to so many of the questions that we are being asked as a society collectively right now. So really important ethical questions to be, as you said, practicing to mm -hmm. be asking ourselves and everything. Well, I am so glad that you got recommended for the show and you responded to my invitation to come on. What a joy it's been not just to get to talk to you today, but also just to get to follow your work. I'm going to, of course, recommend that people go, as you said, you use all the tools. Also go follow you on all the places. <laughs> so we'll be having that <laughs> in, the, in the show notes. And also, I know that part of your bio will include that information as well. So thank you again for being a guest today on Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and privileged to be in your space. And thank you for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will continue to do, because it's really awesome. In addition to thanking Vanessa Thompson for joining me for today's episode, a big thanks to Christina Moore for recommending her. Today's episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stahoviak and was edited by the ever-talented Andrew Kroger. Podcast production support was provided by Sierra Smith, a phenomenal educator who just happens to still have time to engage in this side gig for us. These podcast episodes are just one part of the Teaching in Higher Ed resources. If you'd like to receive the weekly 
email updates. Subscribe at teachinginhighered.com. I promise we'll take good care of you. The show notes from the most recent episode, a look at the one that's to come, and some recommendations that don't show up on the podcast episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.